You're listening to the Q's Podcast, episode 111. Hello, Q's Nation. Welcome to another episode of the Q's Podcast. My name is James Lenz, Q's Professional Development Manager, your host and editor of the show. I am excited to be with you today. On behalf of Credit Union Executive Society, we thank you for making this show a regular part of your personal professional development. As many of you know, we use this special delivery channel to speak with credit union industry leaders and cross-industry experts for a wide range of perspectives on trends and topics relevant to you. You tell us one of the reasons you like the show so much is because of the variety of topics that we deliver on. Our shows often fall under the umbrella of strategy, leadership, organizational development, and culture. You think we might run out of topics, but no, we don't. As long as the members' communities change, as long as members' expectations change and their behavior, and as long as technology continually evolves, so should credit union strategy. Organizational culture needs to also continually adapt and evolve. And that means how we think of leadership today and yesterday may not be the same as we think about it tomorrow. Certainly, strong and highly effective leaders need to be very reflective individuals. And that's why I am so excited about my upcoming interview with Lori Madalena. We will be discussing this very topic, the leadership evolution. So look out for that show soon. We are expecting a May release. There is so much to learn. What's very challenging for me is making decisions without evidence to support those decisions. I get excited about making data-based decisions and solving complex problems. As leaders, we all know, due to the pandemic, we've had to make some really tough decisions with very little information at hand, both personally and professionally. And that doesn't make us feel real comfortable, of course. There have been so many unknowns, right? Well, to provide some level of relief and improved contextual understanding, we are dedicating the next three episodes to help you do just that. In relative quick fashion, we are delivering to you, Q's Podcast Nation, a three-part series focused on the economic outlook. That's right. Today starts the first of three episodes where we bring in an economist to help you speculate and understand this dynamic market. We are bringing in three economists, one economist for each episode. Each economist will bring their own perspective and insights to best serve you. Now, today's guest is Steve Rick. You may know him. He is the director and chief economist at CUNA Mutual Group. In his role at CUNA Mutual Group, Steve's primary responsibilities include conducting strategic research, analysis, and forecasting of the financial services industry with special emphasis on the consumer and credit union markets. Now, Rick's forecasts serve as a starting point for the strategic planning process oftentimes, and it helps to create then a clear understanding of the underlying trends and links between the general economy, the financial services industry, and CUNA Mutual's policy owners. Steve publishes the Credit Union Trends Report. You may have had your hands on this before. It's a monthly pulse check on the economic state of the credit union movement. Steve is also a senior lecturer at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, and he serves on the board of directors of the University of Wisconsin Credit Union, a $2.4 billion financial institution. Oh, in this episode, we have a special surprise. A member of Q's Podcast Nation will be joining the show. We are bringing in someone in the past who has submitted a question, and now is the perfect time and the perfect guest to get the question a really good response. Now, let's join the conversation with Steve. 
Hello, Steve. Welcome to the show. Hi, James. Thanks for having me. Yes. Uh, we often start the show by asking our guests if they have a mantra or you know, success quote that they live by to allow our listeners to get to know you a little bit and add some perspective. Do you have a mantra or quote that you would be willing to share with our listeners? Uh, yeah, I do. Actually, on my wall, I have a poster here. Um, it's a quote by Mark Twain. And years ago, he said, the secret of getting ahead is getting started. You know, remember when you were in high school or college and you had to write that term paper and it was so difficult, mm -hmm. but once you actually started doing it and get started, you know, that's really the secret of getting ahead is just to get started. You just got to pull the trigger and go. And I've used that in my business career and it's, uh, it seems to have worked for me and I hope uh, I can help others. Yes, served you well. I've heard that one before and definitely a big piece of advice there. Thank you so much. Now, as we speak during the middle and end of February of 2021, there's both positive and negative news for this year. On the positive side, the vaccine is being distributed. The impact of the vaccine brings hope. It brings hope to individuals, to families, to so many people that have been impacted. And it's been so devastating. So we give so many thanks to all the healthcare workers for their effort, time, energy, and perseverance. But again, there is a greater sense of hope now with the progression of the vaccine distribution. On the negative side, there are still so many unknowns. Today, we are going to focus on the economic outlook. Perhaps the first place we could look at is the four-letter word, jobs. Steve, wasn't it a little over a year ago that we had the lowest unemployment rate in the United States and then the pandemic hit? What was the highest unemployment rate in 2020? And where are we now in terms of the unemployment rate? What are your projections for the labor market for the remainder of 2021 and then heading into next year, Steve? Sure. Uh, you know, last year in 2020, back in February, so one year ago, we had an unemployment rate of 3.5%. Now, to put that in perspective, economists believe about 4.5% is kind of the long run natural unemployment rate, if you will. That's where the economy tends to go to, 4.5. So at 3.5, we consider that a very tight labor market translation. You know, employers had a really hard time finding qualified workers to come, you know, work at maybe at their bank or credit union or Harley-Davidson motorcycle there in Milwaukee. It was very difficult. So they're working overtime. And of course, wage costs go up. You're paying time and a half or you're paying higher wages just to attract people in. So it was a tight labor market. But then, of course, we got hit with COVID-19 pandemic. And by April, we were up to 14.7% unemployment, wow. right? Mainly due to all those government shutdowns. Remember, those government-mandated non-essential businesses were shut down. Fortunately, the good news, we're back down to 6.3% unemployment rate today. But if you kind of count all the people who have left the labor force, who did have a job last year, but have kind of left the labor force. They've kind of given up searching for jobs. You know, the unemployment rate could be closer to 9, 10% once you include all those workers who are left. For my forecast for us this year, we do believe we'll reach herd immunity probably by the fourth quarter of this year. And, you know, we'll be slowly approaching that. You know, that's where, what, 75 to 80% of our population has been vaccinated and is now immune. So we're hoping by the end of this year, to have the unemployment rate down to 5.5%. All right, remember, 4.5 is our target. We expect to hit that 4.5 by the end of next year, 2022. So it's almost going to be about another two full years to get back to that natural unemployment rate of 4.5%. That's great perspective. Thanks for adding those notes there. 
we have a high unemployment right now, actually not as high as I I thought based on what you just said, but there is concern. Consumer spending has taken a hit. We've also got predictions of evictions, foreclosures, personal bankruptcies. To counter the economic downturn and provide relief for impacted households and businesses, governments across the world have enacted record amounts of stimulus. What kind of impact did these measures take? Will they take? And what do you see happening next? Well, it's interesting. You know, in December, we had another one of the stimulus bills passed, which paid out another $600 in stimulus checks, which basically went into the bank accounts of millions of Americans back in January. So just think, all these banks and credit unions got these $600 checks piled in. Uh, This morning, just this morning, about an hour or so ago, the latest retail sales report was released for January. And guess what happened? We saw sales pick up 5.3% compared to December. Now, that's a huge jump. I mean, you kind of see these numbers like that for one month, 5.3%. And if we can compare this January of 2021 compared to January 2020, you know, January 2020, that was before the pandemic. We're up 7.4%. Now, that is a huge increase, 7.4% in spending. Uh, And when we talk about retail sales, that's the stuff when you and I go to a store, we buy something and put in a bag and then put in our trunk of our car. That's where we're talking about is stuff you buy and actually get your hands on or the goods part of the economy. So we're actually seeing a nice recovery already. Uh, You may have heard the economist Larry Summers, very smart guy, a Harvard economist, worked in the Obama administration as the Secretary of the Treasury. Uh, He's actually worried that we could see an overheating economy. He's worried about if we do pass another $1.9 trillion stimulus package, we could see inflation pick up in this country, which would kind of be all right because we've had low inflation for the last few years. And the Federal Reserve wants to see inflation at about 2% on average for the long run. So we could see actually, uh, just giving my forecast, we're forecasting GDP growth this year in 2021 of about 4.5 percentage points. Uh, So we're going to be making 4.5% more stuff, if you will, than we did last year. And last year, we we got the latest numbers, we dropped 3.5% in the production of goods and services last year. So a nice recovery for 2021 here, mainly because all these you know, if we get another $1,400 stimulus checks sometime this spring, you know, if, if President Biden gets his $1.9 trillion stimulus, we could see a really strong economy going into the second half of this year. Uh, interesting news and insights there. I think you may have answered this. What will it take to get back to the very low unemployment rates that we had before the pandemic? There is some scarring taking place in the economy, some permanent impacts where, you know, we, as we know, there's businesses that have gone out of business and they're not coming back, uh, especially in the retail space. As you know, we, we call this the retail apocalypse. You know, a lot of these small stores are not be able to compete either with online, you know, say the Amazon.coms of the world, and they're just gone. And so you have a lot. I mean, I'm sure you've driven by strip malls in your local mall and half the stores are empty. Well, they're not coming back. And so a lot of those employees are going to have to be retrained into other fields. And it always takes a while to retrain people. People just don't get a new skill set right away. They don't automatically become a nurse or a computer program. It's going to take years. So there's some economic scarring out there taking place. But, you know, we will, once the economy does open up this spring, the service sector of the economy, which was really hurt. You know, think of hotels and restaurants and movie theaters. You know, they will reopen and hire some people back. 
But as we know, there's some movie theaters that are permanently shut down, restaurants that are never coming back. And so this is going to take a while, like I said, maybe two years before we get back to that natural unemployment rate of 4.5%. Interesting. It's certainly been a crazy time for credit unions, pandemic, social unrest, and and a certain economy were all hallmarks of 2020. What things have you seen credit unions do that have served them well in responding to last year's big issues? We know the biggest uh, topic last year, well, two things. One, that huge surge in deposits. We just got the latest numbers in for the full year 2020, and credit union deposit growth was over 20%, which is the fastest we've seen since really the middle 1980s. Now, why do you have to go back to the 1980s? Well, remember that there was a savings and loan crisis back in the 1980s where hundreds of savings and loans uh, failed, where all those uh, customers of savings and loans moved their money over to credit units. We had a big surge in deposits. So you need something like that to see a huge surge this year. Well, why did credit unions get a 20% surge this year? Well, one, uh, we had those $1,200 stimulus checks last March, you know, in March of 2020, remember that. And basically, a lot of economists have done research on that. And they found out that 80% of that $1,200 stimulus checks was either saved or used to pay down debt. Think of a credit union. You got 80% of this $1,200 check either put into savings that is maybe a credit union or was used to pay off their credit card or home equity loan. So last year, credit unions had a weak loan growth and very fast deposit growth because of, you know, to a large extent, these stimulus checks, but also because, you know, we were in a pandemic and people weren't going out to restaurants, movie theaters and sporting events. So they're just saving money in that respect. And they're not driving to work. So saving money buying gasoline, they're not buying nearly as much gas as they've done. So for credit unions, it was a huge year last year. But with these stimulus checks going up this year, we're going to see credit unions probably see another year of 15% deposit growth. So just think that 20% last year, 15% 15% this year, add those two numbers together, roughly wow. 35% growth in deposits, or you could say asset size for the you know, typical credit union here in the United States. So it was a remarkable two years that we're going through. What are, what are some trends that you're seeing as we move into 2021 that credit unions might want to watch and respond to? A big trend right now is uh, still the mortgage refi boom. You know, for credit unions who went to mortgages last year, they did actually extremely well. If you were a big mortgage player, you had probably, you know, close to record profits because, you know, we originate these mortgages and then we sell a lot of them off into the secondary market, you know, to Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac. And they were paying a very nice premium for those mortgages last year. So that one category called gains on sales of mortgages was huge for credit unions who were big into mortgage lending. And uh, we expect the mortgage refi boom to continue through the first half of this year before you know, interest rates slowly start to creep up and then that mortgage refi boom will taper off. But right now, credit unions are still in. I mean, what's really driving this economic recovery is housing. Uh, home prices are up 13% year over year. We almost look like we have another little housing bubble going. Uh, remember back in 2005, 2006, we had the last housing bubble. But I'm going to use the four most dangerous words an economist can use. This time is different. Uh, <laughs> it, it's not the same housing bubble we saw back then. Mm-hmm. Last time, it was a demand side problem. Remember, banks and some credit unions were kind of lending money to basically just about anybody. You know, if you had a heartbeat, you could get a mortgage loan. Uh, we don't do that anymore, fortunately. Uh, but home prices are rising again. Why? Because it's a supply side phenomenon. Yep. 
we don't have enough supply. And economic theory tells us when it's a supply side phenomenon, it's not really going to be a bubble. We're yeah. just not building homes fast enough. Right. Man, because we just can't find workers. You know, we can't find the carpenters, plumbers, electricians to help build these homes for the demand that we see out there. Yeah, I've noticed that and uh, our own home has risen incredibly. And they're just, you know, I got a nephew looking for a home and, and there is nothing out there that does not have an offer on. It's just, it is a supply side. So do you see, and, and you said it's harder to find workers to do that, but I mean, what is that? spring and summer and fall look like for the housing market in terms of production? I know the housing prices are high, land prices are, are risen incredibly as well, and the supply of materials to build houses has skyrocketed as well. Yeah, we're seeing, we're seeing housing starts pick up 20, 30 percent compared to a year earlier. So it is surging. I mean, we are trying our best to get these housing starts going, but we should be producing a lot more than we currently are. The shortage, like you said, shortage of buildable land, Prices for lumber and other things that go into a house are rising very dramatically. And like I said, we got that labor shortage going on. But it's a good thing to have, you know, if, mm-hmm. uh, get some of these uh, people who are maybe unemployed and get them retrained to become a carpenter, a plumber, electrician uh, working in the housing sector. Again, so many insights, so many changes. I love how you've kind of synthesized all these trends and uh, what's going on to share with our listeners. Just a, a couple more things. What are your expectations for the impact of the economy of the new Biden administration? You touched on a bit. Anything you want to add there? Just getting the vaccination out there. I mean, the way they've kind of redoubled their efforts to get that vaccine into the arms of millions of Americans. And you see we're over, you know, one and a half million Americans are getting vaccinated, you know, every day, which is great. Uh, get that up even more up to two, three million a day is what we really need to be seeing. And uh, once again, there are some constraints. You got to train people in order to administer the vaccine. But we are moving in the right direction. As I said, we hopefully will reach that herd immunity in the fourth quarter of this year, which will mean the economy will be somewhat back to normal. We can all go on, start living our lives again, going out, visiting people, taking a trip. And once again, that'll be good for the hotel industry, the airline industry, the restaurant industry. A lot of things will come back in the second half of this year. Sounds like a very positive outlook coming ahead here. Uh, Besides economic considerations, what are some other ways that the new administration might impact credit unions? We know that there's there's talk right now, well, kind of indirectly about uh, forgiving uh, $10,000, say, worth of student loan debt. So if we kind of free up, say, that millennial generation, that's kind of the generation that's really saddled with a lot of debt. And people between the ages of, what, 25 and 39. So if we can kind of relieve some of that debt burden on them, that'll free them up to be able to maybe purchase that home or purchase that car and maybe get that loan from a credit union for a mortgage loan or an automobile loan. But yeah, the millennial generation is saddled with debt, which is postponed when they can actually you know, really start a family and, and build a house. So that's one proposal that we'll see playing out. I just saw Joe Biden was on TV last night. He was here in Wisconsin giving a town hall meeting on CNN. And he was asked that question. He said, hey, I'm for $10,000 kind of loan forgiveness. But there are some progressives in the Democratic Party who want to go up to $50,000 in loan forgiveness, which would uh, really free up a lot of, let's say, millennial generation of their debt. But he said he wasn't for that. He says only for 10000 But once again, that will help out uh, millions of Americans relieve some of that debt burden they have from their college years. And one final thing, and bringing it right back to credit unions, Rick, what can credit unions do to best manage these kinds of changes for the organizations and its members? You know, the big, the big challenge this year is going to be net interest margins. You know, the difference between our yield on our assets, 
you know, what we're earning on our loans and investments and what our cost of funds is. What are we paying our members for the use of their deposits? And we're going to see the tightest net interest margins in history this year, mainly as these low interest rate environments are going to be here. So all those old loans are going to be repricing into new lower rate loans. And all those old investments are rolling over into new lower rate. Uh, so we're going to see very record low yield on assets and record low net interest margins. So credit are really focusing on basically managing their costs, you know, getting their costs down to match that very low net interest margin. So cost containment is still going to be a major issue, just like it was last year for credit how can they restructure? How can they become more efficient, more productive? You know, we are seeing a little bit of economies of scale. If you think of the you know, operating expenses as a percent of your total assets. But remember that assets and the denominator of that ratio has grown 35% in the last year. So it's giving us a little bit of economies of scale, mm-hmm. getting more size from all these deposits. But once again, con- containing costs is going to be a major issue because we're forecasting return on assets you know, ROA, basically lower than it was in 2020. So there are going to be some earnings pressures this year due to very tight net interest margins. All right. Now would be a great time to bring in another special guest to the show. She's actually a listener of the Q's Podcast Nation. I have Cynthia Ryan on the line here right now. Cynthia is EVP Chief Operations Officer of Connect Credit Union in the Fort Lauderdale area, Florida. Thank you for coming on the show, Cynthia. Thanks for having me. Now, Cynthia, you submitted a question earlier as part of our 100th podcast episode celebration. We asked for questions to be submitted by members that could be aired in the show. We did feature a few of those, and we want to take those who were not used at the time for future episodes. And now would be a perfect time since we have our economist, Steve Rick, on the show from CUNA Mutual Group. So, Cynthia, what do you like about Q's podcast as a mode of learning? Yeah, well, the the Q's podcast, I like listening to the different topics. There's a quite a variety of topics, so I really enjoy that aspect of it. I spent a lot of time listening actually at work and at home. So that's why one of the things I love about podcasts, you really can kind of take it anywhere with you. So I think with mobility and a lot of people have been working from home, although I'm actually working in an office now, we can listen to them anywhere. So that's a few of the things that I love. Great. I love podcasts. Yeah, it's learning on demand anytime that works out for you. Pretty flexible way to learn. So, Cynthia, we have Steve as a guest here on the show. Hi, Steve. How are you? Hi, Cynthia. How are you doing? Again, uh, thank you for submitting your question. So, we're curious. What is your question for Steve? So, Steve, I know you're great at these types of questions. So, my question for you is, with the member savings rate substantially increased, what are a few strategies that we as credit unions should employ to improve our balance sheet? Um, That's a great question, uh, Cynthia. That's the question on the minds of the vast majority of credit union executives out in the country today is basically how to maintain their yield on assets, not to have it fall, to basically have a better balance sheet that will throw off a higher yield on assets. And what we're seeing is a lot of credit unions are revisiting their risk exposure. As you know, uh, in in order to make a yield on assets, we got to assume some risk. And right now we're looking at maybe adjusting our interest rate risk exposure. You know, as we do, we take in, you know, a lot of short-term money, like one-year CDs, and then we go out and make a 30-year mortgage with it. Well, a lot of credit unions are saying maybe we need to take a little bit more interest rate risk, meaning putting a little more uh, 30-year mortgage loans on the balance sheet instead of selling them all off to Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac 
and you know, getting those gains on sales and mortgages, but holding some of those mortgages. So we're seeing more and more credit unions are basically holding more longer-term assets and taking more interest rate risk. Of course, the other major risk we manage to generate a yield on assets from our balance sheet is credit risk. We're seeing more and more credit unions discussing, should we go down the credit score and make more loans to more, say, riskier type of borrower? And so basically just to get that money working. So instead of denying loans to some higher risk, lower credit score individuals, we start making more of those loans, especially to help them out during this time of COVID-19 pandemic. But basically, we're going to have to adjust our risk exposure in order to maintain our yield on assets over the next couple of years. Great response to the question. I appreciate that so much, Steve. Cynthia, thank you so much for your question. What a great uh, response (laughs) to a wonderful question that a lot of people are wondering about. All right. Thanks so much. Wow. This has been such a great economic outlook and forecast. You've been so helpful. If listeners want to connect with you and your organization, what is the best way to connect? Oh, my email is steve.rick at cunamutual. That's uh, C-U-N-A mutual.com. So steve.rick at cunamutual.com. If they would like to email me some questions, comments, or issues relating to credit unions or the economy. Thank you so much for sharing your insights and perspectives. Have yourself a great day. Thanks, James. It's been fun. Q's Podcast Nation. Thank you all for listening to the show. Thank you, Steve Rick, for making it so much fun. And I'd also like to thank Cynthia Ryan, a member of Q's Podcast Nation, for submitting her question to us. If you want to read the show notes for this episode and all the other episodes, visit cumanagement.com slash podcasts. You can also listen to all shows that way as well. Before we conclude, I wanted to share with you a new and exciting professional development opportunity. It's the Q's Advanced Management Program from Cornell University. Master the C-suite mindset. Emerging leaders. Under the guidance of 11 Cornell faculty members, you will evolve your knowledge of what it takes to be a successful credit union executive. Over the course of nine months, eight courses, and seven live-taught online sessions, you will learn from the latest research and apply lessons to enhance your day-to-day work, management roles, and contributions to the organization. It starts June 21st of this year, 2021, and concludes April 30th of 2022. For more information on this program and how to advance your career in the career of others, visit cues.org forward slash ecornell dash CU Manager. Again, that's Q's.org slash eCornell dash CU Manager. If you're a Q's member, you have access to invaluable membership benefits to further enhance your development. Visit Q's.org slash membership to learn more. Q's is an international credit union association. Our mission is to educate and develop credit union CEOs, executives, directors, and future leaders. To learn how Q's can help you realize your potential, visit Q's.org today.